I think so many people get caught up in that. They go, well, who am I? I, I've never owned a business before. I'm not special. I don't have an MBA. It doesn't matter. You don't need that. You need to be willing to do it. The best teacher is going to be experienced. It sounds cliche, but it's true. There's a reason why people say that because you can watch all the YouTube videos, take all the college courses you want about owning a business. It means fuck all until you actually own the business, until you actually sign the lease, until you actually raise the money, spend the funds, hire people, open up. It means nothing until you actually do it. Welcome to the Zero Quit Podcast, where I bring you candid conversations with elite athletes, entrepreneurs, specialists, and other creatives. I'm your host, Brock Covington, and through these dialogues, you will hear powerful stories and practical advice that will help you live a more active and intentional life. If you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Zero Quit Podcast, and today we're digging into a very crucial and important piece of my past, of my identity, of my experience and that is owning a gym, building it up from scratch, from, from nothing to something, owning it, and also selling it two years later. Uh, because I think a lot of you may not even realize I did this, that I owned a gym, that I owned a business. Uh, so I think this will be very valuable to to kind of share with my listeners, share with anybody who's met me in the past year. Because uh, I sold it pretty recently. We're actually coming up on about a year. I think the time I'm recording this, it's about 11 months from the time we signed a uh, contract to sell the gym to the new owner. So it's still really fresh, but I think at this point, it's a good time to kind of look and think about, you know, what I learned and uh, share that with you guys. So let's get into it, which for reference, I didn't even specify what gym this is. This is Iron Built Gym. I'm wearing actually one of our shirts right now. Iron Built Gym, uh, if you look at the Instagram now, it's a, a bit different and the gym is a bit different than when we sold it and certainly from when we started. Um, so keep that in mind. Uh, basically anything prior to July 2022 is going to be uh, all us and our doing, but there's been a lot of good good changes I think that have come on and, and a lot of plans that the new owner has and so forth. But anyway, for reference, Iron Built Gym. So, like I mentioned, I want to give a preamble to the three lessons that I'll share with a little bit later in this podcast and talk about owning the gym in the first place, where to come about. So, like any young teenager falling in love with the gym, they think to themselves, "Man." I'd love to open my own gym one day, right? How cool would that be? My own members coming in. I get to, you know, make money off what I love, do what I love every day, open the door in the morning first thing, scrub the floors, buy the machines I want, the equipment I want, right? So like a lot of people, we have that vision uh, and not in a pride way, but I actually did it. I actually took the steps to do it. It wasn't just, oh, that would be cool and hope it happens down the line. I actually took the step, saved the money, and did it. Now, the advantage was being I was young, and I had the the uh, chance because I wasn't already tied into a profession and so forth, but regardless of the fact, with any business, any business owner understands this, there's no perfect time, and uh, the biggest thing, well, I'll get into this a little bit later, but you, you, know, you don't always know what you're doing, and so 18 years old, I, I really kind of started saving for this gym. Um, and, and I spent about two years saving for the gym. I, I worked two to three different jobs, a lot of hours, Very, I'm still very frugal and I kind of live with what I kind of think of like a broke mentality where, you know, regardless of how much money I make, even though it's increased over the years, I still have this uh, spending behaviors of someone who makes, you know, very minimal amount. And that allowed me to save a lot of money because that's a question a lot of people ask is how did you finance the gym? How did you get the money? It wasn't family loans. It wasn't 
any gift money. I was gifted nothing uh, as far as like, you know, money and things like that. I got a ton of help from family. But as far as money, it was all saved on my end. And uh, like I said, I worked multiple jobs. In high school, I actually worked a job so that I could pay off my car. So I basically paid that off right around the time I graduated high school. So fortunately, all this extra money I was making for my jobs was able to go into savings for this gym. Fast forward a little bit. So that kind of describes a little bit of the financing side of things. Fast forward into the actual part where uh, we're actually thinking about opening it. So I, I really plan to save for like three to five years before trying to explore this option. But uh, as you guys know, this thing called the pandemic happened in 2020. And it kind of forced our hands in a little bit of ways. Gyms were closing and it, it allowed me to be like, well, damn, I need to buy some equipment. So that, that the pandemic happening actually triggered me to buy a barbell, a squat stand from Rogue, a few plates, a few kettlebells. So it kind of gave me like a taste for actually going for it. And uh, I still wasn't thinking about owning a gym at this time, but I was like, okay, well, I'm going to probably need this stuff later. So in my mind, it was like a small investment towards the eventual gym I would open up. A little bit into the pandemic, maybe six months or so, gyms are finally starting to open up. But Maddie and I, my wife who opened it with me, you know, I talked to her and I was like, man, why don't we just like do it now? Like this is a good time. At this point, I was already planning on dropping out of college. I was basically three semesters in and I was making enough money from video editing as a freelance videographer, um, video editor for real estate agents and so forth. That was growing into a much more consistent, strong source of income. My degree was relatively pointless. I could ramble on college for most people and another podcast. But at this point, I was already planning on dropping out. The pandemic happened, which made everything virtual anyway. And so I wasn't really doing any college work. And so I was like, man, well, if I'm going to drop out, why don't we look and see if we can do this gym thing? So, you know, I looked at my finances and I was like, well, I don't have as much saved as I would like to start the gym, but let's just put some teasers out there, start looking at properties and see what we can do. So here's where things get a lot harder and uh, there's a lot of failures and disappointments and um, frustration, stress, every every emotion that's negative, uh, this is where that starts to kick in, was trying to find a lease, trying to find a landlord that would give you a chance, find the right property, all of that. So. Uh, we're in Richmond, Virginia for reference. We're looking at different properties. We know we kind of want a warehouse uh, somewhere between like four to 8,000 square feet. AC isn't required, but we'd prefer it. Uh, we do obviously need bathrooms. We'd like, you know, one or two office spaces so that we could have an office for ourselves, for personal trainers. Um, I had a friend of mine that owned a supplement company, um, Austin, I actually have a podcast with him um, that was hoping to kind of sublease in our gym as well, benefit him, benefit us, and so forth. And it was difficult to find some of these properties, you know. Uh, a few did pop up, and so we the first one we toured, we actually fell in love with. It was it had a bunch of office space. It was very it was a pretty new building. It was very nice, large kind of back um, back area for like concrete paved area that we could put on events and do tire flips and just kind of everything out there. We're like, man, this is it. You know, first property, we were toured, we're excited and we get denied. And, uh, you know, I call the guy and I'm like, you know, hey, like I thought things were going good. Like, you know, why was the landlord not interested and so forth? And, um, you know, nobody wanted to take a chance on a 20 year old who's trying to open up a gym during a pandemic, right? 
You're trying to open up a business that is dependent upon people in a fairly crowded space, and you're 20 years old. You don't have any business experience. You haven't opened this before. And uh, so we got turned down there. We got uh, to look at a few other properties. They were either out of our price range. Or we got turned down again. I remember there was actually, like I think, the fourth property we looked at. We were pretty, like, we were pretty convinced we were going to do it. You know, it was, it was a good, good price, but honestly, looking back like a bad location, it needed a lot more renovation. And, uh, but the, the agent that was working for the, uh, the landlord, uh, he made it seem like, Oh, like as long as we want it, like we can get this property. So we get all excited. We're like, we're just waiting on the lease now. And I get a call or an email. I don't remember what it was. And, uh, the, the multiple basically landlords that own that kind of a shopping center section, they were no longer interested. Um, they didn't want to take a risk on a gym. So failure after failure, we're like four months into looking at properties at this point for reference. Uh, we actually picked up some equipment preemptively thinking we were going to get the first property, which stupid, <laughs> but also uh, not too stupid. That way you have equipment already purchased and you can kind of move it in so it wasn't like we bought everything we just bought a good bit uh, a little bit early you know we saw some deals and so forth anyway uh, but eventually we stumbled upon this fifth property and uh, we actually had our own agent helping us look for properties at this point which is convenient for reference typically for a residential property or commercial property as a buyer you don't pay the buyer's agent's fee so the seller actually pays for that. So essentially you can get someone to help you find a property, sign a contract or for free. So for reference, <laughs> use a buyer's agent. That'll help you a lot, um, especially if you don't have experience with this stuff. But I uh, found a property. It was a little bit higher in a price range and had a little bit, honestly, more space than we needed. But it was a great location. Uh, I talked to my wife and I was like, hey, let's just check it out. Let's see what, it, what it's like. We tour it. We love it. Um, we want to tear down some walls, come to find out that's just going to be extremely expensive and not worth it. So we, we kind of leave how it's structured originally inside the building and work around it later on. But uh, like I said, the price was too high. So we actually got lucky because they hadn't had a tenant for like six, seven months. It was pandemic time. They were looking for some income to come in from a tenant and we were looking for a property. And uh, fortunately, we ended up signing the lease there. Uh, extremely stoked you finally get this sense of relief like oh we're actually doing this this is the big step um and we get the, the rate down a little bit lower we signed a longer lease so then so the negotiation was basically sign a longer lease but pay a cheaper uh you know month to month rate that would of course increase uh year to year but it was worth it we just needed to get our foot in the door basically um so got that and uh here's where things get a little bit interesting right is you're 20 years old you, the business hasn't even run or made any money yet, hasn't opened, and you signed a lease that, you know, is is well over six figures in uh, total money you owe over the five-year lease, you know, that, that you're on the hook for. So there's a lot of nerves with that, you know, and with any business, whether it's a loan, whether it's a lease, you have to roll the dice. You know, there's no guarantees with owning a business. There's no guarantees with a lot of things that have a lot of reward and value in them. And uh, there's no other way around it. What am I going to, like, you know, have some out clause or this or that? I mean, look, there's smarter ways to do things. I only put this out front and, and state it in that way because 
it's an important thing to consider if you are looking to own a business, own a gym, own whatever. You're going to sign things and, and do things that are scary to you. You might take out a $40,000 loan and you haven't made a dime yet on your product. It's very nerve-wracking. But one, it's a, a necessary uh, step you have to take. And two, you have to believe not only in your product or service, but also believe in yourself that you're going to make it happen. Back against the wall, business is struggling. You're going to find a way to pay that monthly rent. You're going to find a way to pay uh, that loan back. Uh, it, you know, it takes a bit of faith, as I'll say. And sometimes the faith is not always justified. It's not always rational, but it does take a sense of uh, confidence, sometimes delusion as a business owner. Um, so I felt like mentioning that as far as uh, a couple more things before I get to these specific lessons uh, is the renovation process. So we probably put maybe, I think I, I have to look at it again. I think we put like ten to $15,000 into renovating the place, which included paint, turf, uh, we got these strips to kind of clean out the, or, or edge the turf so it looked neater. Um, what else did we do? Obviously hung up uh, some security cameras, we built a front desk, we had to strip the flooring. So actually, the, if you looked at the original property and all this, I have a whole YouTube channel for reference or YouTube series on my uh, YouTube channel that shows all the renovation, a lot of the process of opening this. but. The way a lot of the floors were in the building was they were tiled, kind of like a regular office tile that you would see, uh, like gray office tiles, and then carpeted, and then there was some concrete. So what we had to do is rip up the concrete and rip up the tile. Problem with that is it's all heavily adhesived underneath. So not only do we have to take like a heavy-duty metal shovel and break up all the tile and get it up, um, we had to do all of that. The tile's really heavy. We had to get rid of all the tile, you know, trash that. We didn't have a dumpster at the time. So, you know, leveraging an apartment uh, dumpster that Maddie and I were staying at, just boxes and boxes of beat up tile that we uh, ripped up. Carpet, same deal, taking that to a dump, to a landfill. And the uh, problem with all of that is there's still this heavy, thick adhesive glue underneath. So we had to get some chemicals uh, solution basically from Home Depot pour that over so that the glue would even come up and then scrape the glue up, then re-sand the floor. We had to rent a sander from Home Depot, re-sand the floor. That was a bit of hell. And then we can, okay, paint over it and uh, use the concrete. We did end up matting the other room as well, so that's part of the renovation costs. I think it was 55 6x4 rubber stall mats, horse stall mats. So, you know, there's a lot of things in renovation that you don't really think about with pricing that come up that I can't even remember in this exact moment. But uh, a lot of silly stuff, a lot of supplies where it's like, oh, it's just nine bucks or just 14 bucks, but those things add up pretty quickly. So something to consider there. Equipment wise too, we, we started pretty minimal with equipment if you look at what we had opening day. But there's a lot of things that you kind of forget that cost money. For example, just storage uh, for holding kettlebells or storage for holding cable uh, attachments, right? That's like another four or $500 just to hold equipment. It doesn't actually do anything. It's not usable. So little things like that, you know, chew into your budget. Uh, but, the, the, you know, with, with a gym, with any business, honestly, you got to start pretty lean. So we had just six barbells, basically enough for every rack, every bench. Uh, we didn't start off with too much specialized equipment. We had just 
two regular squat racks, a squat stand, two benches. Um, later on, we upgraded to combo racks and got nicer barbells and more barbells and specialty bars. And, you know, we started, um, of course, we got a set of five 300-pound dumbbells, but we got more benches down the line. We got a ton more machines, really nice machines down the line, leveraged different credit card opportunities with that so that we were not really taking that alone, but leveraging the you know 0% APR over 18 months and so forth. I could get all to that or all into that or answer questions with that on another podcast. If you guys have questions, let me know. We can I can do a little follow up Q and A. Um, but started pretty lean, you know. Got what we needed. Got the basic necessities. Got you know a machine for each each body part, and you know you grow from there. You get what you need to start, and you go from there. Um, so yeah, I mean over the next two years that we owned the gym, a little bit less than that, about like a year and a half before we really sold it. Uh, from opening to actually sold, selling it. We had a basically three months of renovation before we opened, um, you know, made a ton of upgrades, you know, swapped out deadlift platforms, uh, repainted the the hallway in the front the opening area. Uh, gosh, we, we, we did a lot. We did a lot. We, uh, we renovated some, again, some other stuff out in the gym. Like I said, we got a bunch of combo racks. We got uh, like another 8,000 pounds of calibrated plates for powerlifters, um, it, a lot of things that cost a lot of money, but, uh, it was great community people. Um, God, again, there's like just so much to go through. I'd have to write down a lot of notes to, to hit on everything, but all that to say, I think we're like almost 20 minutes into this podcast. So let me now get to the three lessons. Um, if you skip through the, to the time codes, all good as well. But lesson one, the biggest lesson I learned owning a gym, owning a business is to delegate as early as possible. That was just the biggest mistake I made. Uh, And it's something I do better now, but it's still hard to be honest. And what I mean is, you know, hiring people, trusting other people around you to do uh, certain jobs or tasks for you and so forth. Because I made the mistake of taking everything on myself. Like I mentioned earlier, my wife owned it, opened it with me and she worked plenty of hours and she helped a ton, uh, but she was also finishing up her college degree. She was doing this internship coincidentally at another gym so she could finish her degree as that's what it required. And um, it so I was basically her own only employee. So I was doing everything from from signing people up to doing social media to cleaning bathrooms to fixing holes in the wall to buying equipment to moving this to doing that restocking the fridge uh administrational stuff everything basically um and my wife still helped a ton and my family and friends helped a ton with with renovating and building it up and uh you know even a few a number of things while we were owning the gym uh but i took on too much i took on too much and even though we financially could have hired people we didn't and that was the biggest mistake was not delegating, not hiring people. And I think that the biggest thing as an entrepreneur, and I feel like, I don't know what the types are, but I feel like a type A person potentially, if this is accurate, I'm the type of person where, you know, I don't trust someone else to do as good of a job as I'm going to do it or not even as, as good of a job, but they're going to do it the way that I would do it. And so that's something as a business owner, you have to let go. I have to say, hey, if I hire so-and-so to do to sign people up, they're not going to give the exact same spiel that I'm going to give, or they're not going to maybe sell it the exact same way I'm going to sell it. But I have to trust that them that they're going to do, you know, 
a good job overall. I'm going to I'm going to have to trust that they're going to get better. I'm going to have to trust them to do that job, to do that position that I'm paying them for. And it sounds obvious, but it's it's hard. It's hard to let someone else, you know, promote your baby. It's your gym, it's your baby, and trying to hand any of that off to someone else is really hard to do and to trust that they're going to treat it with the same uh, love and care that you do. And, and to be honest, they're not. They're not going to love it the same way you do. They didn't, you know, build it from the ground up. They didn't save all the money for years to open it. They didn't take all the risk. So they're not going to love it and cherish it the same way you do. And that's okay. That doesn't mean that they're not still going to do a good job. You know, and over time, you need to position yourself as an owner into a creative position. You need to spend less time doing the administrative work, less time doing the, you know, very simple, monotonous task. You as an owner need to position yourself to where you were thinking three, five, ten years ahead. You were thinking about the big picture. You were thinking about the next steps for the company. You're in that creative space. Everything else you need to delegate, get off your plate, because otherwise you're going to lose your mind. So that was one thing I had to learn pretty early on was to delegate early and often. And even now, though I don't own like a business that needs employees, still delegating different things, delegating who is shooting my content for Instagram, delegating potentially who edits this podcast, Um, there's some things where, okay, maybe you want to save the money and do it yourself, but other things, Hey, if, if you pay someone 200 bucks to do this, then that gives you and frees you up the time to go and do something else or to maximize your business in a different way. So it's something to, to, uh, consider if you are a business owner or just anybody, I think can apply that in some, some shape or form, right? Lesson two would be planning ahead. Now (laughs) I obviously planned ahead. I obviously planned for certain things. I knew what the next equipment I wanted to get was. I knew what, uh, you know, we wanted to do with the business. We planned out like little campaigns or, or events and so forth. I wasn't not planning, but I mean, planning ahead far into the picture. I mean, as you're already knocking out or taking steps towards, you know, something happening in six months, you need to already be taking steps and thinking about what's happening two years and three years and four years. I see other other gems or other business owners do this on a higher level than what we were doing. And I think this ties back to lesson one. If I had more time to be creative and just think and plan, uh, I think I would have been able to do this better. But always thinking, you know, what can we one up? How can we level up this experience? You know, okay, maybe we don't want to break down the walls in this building, but Maybe we can redo the floors. Maybe we can redo the lighting in the bathroom to really make that pop more. So more people are taking pictures of our, you know, of themselves flexing or in this business, promoting it on Instagram. We get more members, more attention, and so forth. Um, just really planning ahead, uh, you know, I don't know, just planning not just two, three, four steps ahead, but way in the future, you know. Always thinking, how can we level this up? How can we do that differently? Um, Thinking about how other industries do certain things like, hey, you know, the coffee industry does this. I wonder if we could kind of twist it and implement it into the fitness industry. So that's what I mean by planning ahead. I just wish I had thought a little bit more into the future about certain things. And, uh, you know, I just think it would have paid off in that way. So that's just one thing I think about. And lesson number three is you don't need to know what you're doing. You just need to be willing to take the risk and learn from the mistakes. I did not have a clue 
how to own a business, own a gym, run any of that. I had no experience. I was coming out of high school, but I was willing to say, fuck it. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to find a way. And if my back's against the wall, I'm just going to claw myself off that wall and figure it out and learn from my mistakes. Because I think so many people get caught up in that. They go, well, who am I? I, I've never owned a business before. I'm not special. I don't have an MBA. It doesn't matter. You don't need that. You need to be willing to do it. The best teacher is going to be experienced. It sounds cliche, but it's true. There's a reason why people say that because you can watch all the YouTube videos, take all the college courses you want about owning a business. It means fuck all until you actually own the business, until you actually sign the lease, until you actually raise the money, spend the funds, hire people, open up. It means nothing until you actually do it, okay? And so don't don't let the idea that you know, you've never done it before or you don't know what you're doing about every little step stop you from actually going for it. Now, you do want to know certain things. You do want to know how you're going to spend the money. Have a business plan. Have these ideas. Why, you know, test your product out in, in, uh, in the world, out in the wild. You know, have a, have a minimum viable product and, and see if this is actually going to work. Don't just be stupid out there. But... I had no clue how to sign a lease with a business. I had no clue about, uh, what do you call it, like uh, credit card transaction services, merchant systems, and, and all these different things. You know, but you don't have to. You know, you don't have to know every little thing. One, you can ask people, and most people are willing to help you and assist you. Uh, and, and two, you're going to learn by doing it, and then you know you'll know in the future. And three, if you make a mistake. As long as it's not a super expensive one, it's okay. It's okay if you if you buy the wrong thing. We we bought the wrong AED. We bought it like a six hundred. First of all, AEDs are stupid expensive. But we bought like a six seven hundred dollar one. Then come to find out, the uh, Virginia's like regulation requires a different model. So we had to like return that and get another one. But but it worked out. You know, it worked out. The point is, you're go You're not gonna do everything perfectly accurate. Even I don't care what courses you take who you talk to, you got a great mentor, you're probably still going to screw things up and make mistakes. And that's, that's okay, but you have to do it. So many people just talk about creating LLCs and they love putting entrepreneur in their Instagram bio. And, you know, of course you're the CEO. You're the only person in the business and you haven't sold anything. You haven't built anything yet. It means nothing. Just putting those words in your bio means nothing. So instead of doing that, Actually, be the person who's going to start the business, who's going to run a business, who's going to grow a business or service or whatever it is. Actually, be the person to do and not just talk about it. You know, creating the LLC, coming up with the name, all that's fun. You know what's a lot more fun? Actually owning and running a successful business. So all that to say, lesson three, you don't need to know what you're doing. You just need to be willing to go for it, to do it, and be willing to learn from the mistakes. Be okay with getting punched around a little bit, okay? You're going to get plenty of uh, kicks in the nuts and, and, and mistakes and banana peels you're going to slip on. It's okay. It's okay. You got to be able to roll with the punches as part of owning a business, okay? Failure is going to happen. There's plenty of people that their business fails, like legit fails, flunks out, bankruptcy, whatever. They come back and do it again years later, you know? And, and it's more successful than that and they they make good on all the mistakes they made and the regrets they had and it works out. Uh, but that that's business, you know, it's, it's persistency. In one word, business is persistency. So 
all of that to say is probably my my longest solo podcast, but I think it's it's worth rambling on because it was a, a very invaluable experience in my life, a, a, an experience that I would not, uh, I couldn't put a price tag on, is owning a business, uh, handling that many members and people, uh, as much as I wish I would have delegated, handling all that myself, and uh, the relationships built, the lessons learned, the mistakes, and, and all the nitty and gritty boring stuff behind the scenes uh i wouldn't replace it for the world you know i posted a reel on my instagram i have it pinned on my profile that was uh a little bit of like a throwback of you know when we were renovating and then like you know the last like video tour i did of the gym and uh when i edited it i was like okay this is great blah blah the first time i played it back i cried so hard and it's, you know, I was telling my wife, like, I don't even know what the emotions were. I think it was, it was pride of, I really did this. Like, I really did it. I really took the risk, spent the money, saved it, went for it, and built this successful business and sold it. You know, so it was pride in that way. It was also gratitude, thankfulness of people supporting the business, thankful for my wife, thankful for my family, my friends that helped build it up thankful for all the members that that you know bought shirts and paid for memberships and and supported us in a million different ways and told people about us and put stickers on their car and all of that so so much gratitude it was a little bit of like bittersweet sorrow you know like i as much as i'm glad we sold it and i needed to kind of move on to this next chapter of my life in colorado it was it was sad you know it's like it was my baby i put so much time into it some of my favorite memories my best times with people, um, best friendships, and and good and bad times were were in those gym walls. So it it was, it was just a lot of emotions. But I sat there and cried hard for like five minutes straight, just sobbing, watching that reel that I just made. <laughs> and um, yeah. So it's 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 an important part of my life. If you guys have any any questions at all, um, I'd love to do like a Q and A and answer some of that. Um, owning a gym is a is a difficult industry and difficult business, but it can be fulfilling. Uh, there's just a lot to it. There's a lot to it. So, anywho, hopefully you guys can can get something out of this uh, this long winded ramble. I think those three lessons apply certainly to any kind of business owner, content creator, entrepreneur of any kind. Um, but just I think parent life, or you know, I, I think they can they can you can apply them in multiple areas, in multiple facets. So, anywho. Hopefully you guys got something out of this. If you did, please share the podcast. Um, I love hearing that you're listening to it. I love when you guys share it. It really goes a long way. Uh, I try and provide good conversations with people I'm thoroughly interested in hearing their story. I got some good ones coming up very, very soon. So uh, make sure you subscribe to the show. Follow me on Instagram and I'll catch you guys in the next one.